started since. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 45 Five. 45 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. Good day, sir. How are you doing? Good. It's snowy outside. It is. There was a dusting on the ground. Winter finally showed its face here it where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've been enjoying some trail rides and stuff over the past week. It's mm-hmm. been kind of, I've been cheating, I feel like, on winter, and now it's... Man, well, if you're great. not getting your backcountry skiing in, you might as well get your backcountry biking in. It's a true story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, can I actually take a quick one? So we were going to talk about this, and then you were like, I don't have anything to add. Yeah. Um, so like, <laughs> And we could just make it super quick. There are a few key principles, but yes. I wanted to talk about cold weather riding. And I'm sure a lot of you will have tips like um, like uh, James from Duluth, Minnesota or something like that. I don't know. Or somebody from, from Fargo will yeah. s- tell us that we have no clue. Exactly. But... Uh, a few things with cold weather riding. First of all, I'm going to start at the head and go down. Uh, I recommend, uh, depending on the helmet, that's if you're an XC dude, cold weather is a good time to use your aero helmet because they usually don't vent as well. So mm-hmm. just pro tip. But then if you just look like Jeff Daniels from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Another pro tip, if you happen to be riding a hog with your friend, you can pee on him and then you'll stick to each other. Oh, just like in that movie. This but is you'll true. stay warm. Yeah. So uh, no, but in all seriousness, um, uh, another thing that I'd, I'd recommend. So we get up there, look for something that covers your ears mm-hmm. instead of something that just covers your head necessarily. Yeah. That depends though. If it's really cold or you have a really vented helmet or you're moving at a good rate of speed, then you want to cover the top of your head probably. Yeah. Cause you want to reduce the venting. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but if you're going to be doing like a lot of climbing, slow riding, that sort of thing, you probably don't need to cover the top of your head and that can be a good way to let heat escape. So then you aren't trapping all of that in and then getting sweaty and then clammy, which is really bad. So I I have that problem. I can't wear any sort of skull cap or anything like that. I cover my ears and that's all. Yeah. So like a a headband is great for that, uh, for your ears. Um, And I recommend, and this is across the board, if it's next to skin, I always recommend merino wool. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is it's toasty, but then on top of that, well, it's not itchy. Like, like, it's not like you went to New Zealand and just like, you know, ran a sheep through some shears and made something real quick. It's different than that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the benefit of it is that when it gets wet, first of all, it has more of a resistance to getting wet and holding moisture than, yeah. than most fabrics. And then it also doesn't stay clammy. Like it isn't cold, yeah. um, which is really nice. So, uh, headband, uh, aside from that, when you get down to, uh, your neck and man, did I take some heat for this from our friend, Neil, uh, Neil has been la- on last year's sea otter episode. I think mm-hmm. uh, you can listen to Neil. Um, he was very not happy with me for wearing a buff and wow. he called it a scarf. And I said, it's an outdoorsy scarf. And he said, that's even worse. (laughs) Call it a neck gator. That sounds better. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to try to feign, you know, it it is what it is. And it's Neil. So let's be honest. Yeah. Um, But uh, a buff is something that I would recommend, but get a wool one. Once again, I see people getting like, um, like uh, just normal cotton ones. And if a cotton one gets it all wet, which a lot of the time it will, even if just from your breath, because it's close to that region, oh, they turn clammy. And then you've got something cold around your neck. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend cotton, certainly no like polyester fabrics around, around your neck like that, but a uh, wool one and the brand buff, they're expensive, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. Um, run one of those around your neck to keep yourself warm. And then after that layers, and that's basically what, I'll, what I want to say there is use layers when it's cold. Don't go and get a heavy jacket 
Don't go and get um, a jacket that doesn't breathe well, anything else like that. Just look to add layers that are functional. So wool next to skin. Outside of that, you can just wear your normal jersey, but use some arm warmers, for example. And then something like a, a vest, and depending on how cold it is, you might just have a breathable like wind layer vest, which I recommend. Like Quare makes them, and they, the back is more breathable than the front, which is really nice because yeah. it lets you vent out the back. Or, or you can get something that's a little more thermal there. Uh, I actually am not a big fan of jackets unless it's like pouring down rain yeah. and I want to shield myself. That's Otherwise, just for the waterproofing purpose, not insulation. Exactly yeah. right. Otherwise, I think a jacket's a little much on a mountain bike. Yes. Unless, of course, you know, once again, James from Duluth is riding and he is fat negative 37. Like, <laughs> negative 37. Yeah. 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 Then parka away, my friend. Exactly. Um, and then the last bit is on, so I, I actually, I don't see much point in knee warmers, but I have them instead of leg warmers. That's just how life goes, I guess, sometimes. Okay. Um, I prefer leg warmers. If it's cold enough to cover my knees, I probably want to cover my whole legs. Uh, but uh, going down from that, the last thing, if you have shoes. <laughs> if you have you, shoes, good. Which I think yeah, you do. A good yeah, start. Yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, putting warmers in your shoes. I see people say like, yeah, just st stuff a toe warmer in there. I don't know about you, but my shoes do not allow for room for no, toe warmers. Not at all. At all. No. I think that if you have proper fitting riding shoes, you shouldn't have room to stuff some, some, some heat pads in there. No, I don't. And yeah. that's why I just have a pair of winter shoes. I have Mavic's uh, winter waterproof insulated you know, mid top boots, like okay. the riding shoes, which would be really sweet to have. Yeah. I would love something like that in instead. And you can get by with just the normal shoes that you have. And, and here's kind of like a guide on that. Mm -hmm. Get those toe warmers, that toe warmers for especially sure. the ones that have the sticky part, but don't listen to the instructions. And it says, put it inside your shoe underneath your insole, something like that. Cause chances are on your riding shoe, you don't have the room. Yeah. Instead, put that thing on top of your toes and then maybe put one even below your toes where there's like a, usually a vent on the sole if it's like an XC shoe. Yeah. Uh, but but, st but then use a shoe cover and put a shoe cover over your shoes. Okay. And it traps that heat in and it is fantastic. Okay. So that's a really good way to be able to get all of the the toastiness that you need and, and still retain, still keep the same shoes. Um, but yeah, winter shoes would be sweet. Yeah. So One other thing that you totally missed. Hands. Handsies. Yeah. Gloves. So what I do, I do not like insulated waterproof gloves mm. because you tend to get sweaty. And even if it's Merino, it just kind of sticks in there. So I use windproof gloves only. Yeah. I think that's a good idea to do as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I have a set from, and I know people are going to shake their heads and think, oh, pretentious Jonathan, but I have a set of, uh, Rafa's. Rafa's. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say. They, <laughs> they have wind stopper in them. Yeah. And they aren't that, they, they, so when I say they aren't that warm, I mean that I don't get sweaty, Yeah. but they're plenty fine on cold days. Yeah. Um, only time I've found them to be difficult is when it's raining on me and it's like, you know, 30 to 40 degrees, somewhere around there, then that's pretty uncomfortable. Well, of course. Um, and that's but that's when, what's yeah. going to, yeah, exactly. And that's when you'd glove up to something like a ski glove, basically, mm -hmm. um, in those conditions. Yeah. So, um, you can also do things that like a uh, hook over your bars to cover your hands, plenty of different stuff. Yeah. This is not a deep dive by any means, but, uh, anyways, if it's cold right now where y'all are at, those are some, some quick little tips. Hopefully it's helped you out. Yeah. So we do need to clear one other thing up by the way. Okay. We got in trouble uh Oh, for our podcast on bike racks. Oh, I got a lot of hate. Oh, I saw that. 
on uh, us saying that uh, the one-up racks, uh, apparently it was implied or it was somehow, you yeah. know, the listeners uh, got the the understanding that we thought one-up racks were terrible. Oh, yeah. No, and, they're good. And that's not at they're all. Just, here's the problem, I think, is that there's this assumption that the one-up rack is, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread and it's fantastic and it's perfect and it's a standard that every brand lives up to. Yeah. And that I disagree with. Absolutely. Uh, agreed. Yeah. 100%. I think it's a good rack. No, it's, but if, if I didn't have a Kuat Envy 2.0, yeah. mm-hmm. then I would be on a one-up rack. Okay. Because I believe, I firmly believe, and I've always felt this way, that when it comes to the two, and I will say that, you know, if you carry multiple different types of bikes... If you have road bikes right. and gravel bikes and downhill bikes and everything, the only racks that really work are tray racks like that. North yeah. Shore racks, you can't hang a, a road bike in, mm-hmm. you know, most road bikes. You can't hang an evil in them because the head tube is too thick. There's a lot of little things about um, the North Shores that are that just don't work for everybody. Yeah. So I always put the Kuat and the One Up in the top two racks, yeah. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that the One Up rack does that fix problems or issues that I don't like about the Kuat rack Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So they both are great racks, but at the end of the day, for me personally, and for my opinion, because at the end of the day, this is all about, you know, opinion, not just fact, the, the NV 2.0 is a better rack, but it's still my number two. The, the one up racks are my number two choice. The one ups functional. It's very functional. It's, it's ugly. And, and that's, once again, that's a personal thing, Yeah, right? that's more, if you like that engineered look, if you like that just raw billet aluminum machined, you know, great, that's that's fine for you. Well, yeah. Uh, it's not So there's some things like Hope Breaks that are raw billet machined. But those are and beautiful. those look beautiful. Yeah. This is not like that. No. This, I look at it, and I don't know if that guy, you know, just went to the, the metal shop and got some stuff and, and made this thing up himself. Um, but it's functional it's, and, yeah. th- and, and that's the thing that I think that they, they've hit a lot of functional things on the head. Absolutely. That said, it don't tell me they don't wobble. I've seen it all the time Yes, and they do wobble and everybody says that they don't when they have them and it's cause they're doing it wrong. No, man, they wobble. That's how it goes. So yeah. they do move more than, yeah, I mean, do. let's just say the Envy does not move at all. The no. Envy 2.0 does not move. Neither does the Sherpa 2.0. We, we were taking your your forerunner mm-hmm. and uh, we had both of our bikes on the back and we were pinned like 60 or 70 down dirt roads, hitting some gnarly stuff. Yeah. Going through sand dunes, uh, <laughs> like and probably where we should never, move they never once budged. Yeah. 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 So, um, I, I, you know, we're both co-op fanboys here. Um, but it's, I shouldn't say fanboys. We're fans of what they do because it's got an extremely nice finish on there. Yes. looks really good. Um, but if I wasn't to have a co-op, I would have the same. I think I'd have a one up just cause it's f- functional and, I would say Thule, uh, but the Thule products that I have currently, because I have two sidearms, I've had ski racks of theirs, mm-hmm. I've had some crossbars of theirs, all of them tend to have durability issues down the road. I know they have a good warranty and everything else, but um, it's the Kuat stuff that I've had is just awesome. Even their transfer, their bottom line one, thing is solid, man. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just really good. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And there they we do go. have an amazing customer service. Like Thule, like you just said, their warranty and their customer service is amazing. Yeah. So is Kuat's. Yeah. If you've ever had a problem with anything from They're Kuat, awesome. they just handle it. So Good folks. Yep. Uh, okay, with that, Stephen, um, I guess that we should say a few things really quick. Go to the mtbpodcast.com or mtbpodcast.com and go to the store. Mm-hmm. Uh, check things out. 
Uh, we got the stickers in. I have to take some pictures of them, and I'm trying to think of some clever ways to do that, Stephen. We need to brainstorm on this. You should probably use a camera for starters. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Uh, then we're going to uh, be heading to Sedona Mountain Bike Festival. We have uh, a handful of requests already on bikes that people want us to test. Okay. So please send in which bikes you want us to test there so we can test them and provide an opinion for you. Make sure that that bike brand will be there, by the way, because oh, yes. we can't test a bike that's not present. That'd be quite difficult. Yeah. Uh, with that, Shall we get into the news? We should. News team, assemble! First bit of news this week. Uh, we kind of le- leaked this <laughs> a little while did. ago. I deleted it thereafter. Oh, I did think, you? I think maybe like a, there was like a webmaster somebody, somewhere, and webmasters, do they even exist anymore? There's a website guy. I'm going to call him a webmaster. Okay. And somewhere, like, he hit, he hit publish, or he hit push on that PR, and then, like, it went up, and I don't know if it meant... I don't know if that was Because it came up like a week or so before it (laughs) was officially announced. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, Jeff Kabush. The guy who can take a punch. (laughs) That was awesome, by the way. It was so good. For those that don't know, uh, it's all about the Brian Lopes uh, thing that they had at an enduro race this year when when Lopes um, wasn't satisfied with the sense of humor that the rest of the racers had at a race. The champagne Especially Jeff's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, uh, Jeff Kabush signed with Yeti. Yeah. Which is crazy because, uh, first of all, a lot of folks were like, what the heck? What's he going to ride? They discontinued the ASR, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And we'll just not touch on that topic anymore. But uh, Yeti has not forgotten the XC market is what uh, what I've been told to say. Not at all. So, um, but anyways, uh, he's signing with them and he's doing a lot more enduro races, so it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reason that this is a big deal is because Kabush is like one of the... In terms of the North American cross-country racers, he's probably the the most legend status right now yeah. that's racing, I would say. That's still racing. That's still racing. Yeah. Uh, I think he's, uh, overall, I think that he might have like 20 national championships. Yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, just insane. Across um, mountain bike, cycle cross, and road. Yeah. Uh, anyways, he's he's a legend, and he's signing with them. He's doing more enduro stuff this year, so I'm sure he's going to be riding a four, five, or five, five as well. Yeah, um, maybe he'll be riding a five or a six. Who knows? Uh, and then, yeah. A- anyways, it's exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to be doing some gravel races and stuff. And yet, he doesn't make a gravel bike, but he has that part sorted too. And I'll just wait because I'm sure that that will be announced at some point as well. Yes. So exciting things. Is he going to be riding an open? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, next thing that we're going to, that would be cool. That would be. I mean, they did make a Yeti version bike. Yeah, so that's yeah, why. I can yeah. see why. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, all right. Uh, next one. The YT Capra has been- a got new- nude. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As in new yes. past tense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, updated, I think is the term. It's So it, it looks fancy. Looks it nice. Yeah. Uh, cleaner, I guess I would say. It looks a little more refined. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got some, it got some longer legs. It got some stilts and it's also got some, some other stuff too, that make it pretty interesting. It's got reinforcement at the head tubes that it can run a dual crown. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is because in 27 and a half inch wheels, it's a 180 mil travel bike up yeah. front. Holy cow. And if we can take a YT Capra and capitalize on what Yeti did with the DH, you know, the DH six C. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like a 180 mil bike. For park, like that sounds fun. Why not, right? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, for in twenty nine, it's a one seventy. Mm-hmm. That's a long travel. It's a big bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about all YTs, I think it's all YTs. They switched to Shimano derailleur derailers and shifters. Mm-hmm. 
However, they have E13 cassettes and then E13 crank sets. So it's just pretty cool. So they're running 11 speed, but they've got the wide range. Uh, I think it's the TRS race cassette. Well, it doesn't anymore. The TRS plus and the TRS race are both um, a 946 now. Okay. So you still have the 511% either way. So wider than what you would get with the standard one by 11. Yep. Uh, Looking at it though, it looks like they have SRAM brakes on there. Yeah. I can't tell, which is interesting. Like, most people would use Shim- or SRAM drivetrain Shimano brakes, but it looks like they did the opposite. I mean, those look like guides to me. But well, no, those are guides. Them. If yeah, you look at centerline rotors and everything on them, yeah, but yeah. I think what they're doing is they're following the mentality that brakes just slow you down. So why not put brakes <laughs> that don't? Because then you'll be faster. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> they're not that bad. No. Um, so, uh, and, and, and if they have codes, which they, they might have, I think it might actually be codes. Some of them can't sure tell. are going to have codes. Yeah, if they have codes, then you're going to be stopping on a dime. That's for darn sure. Yeah. So uh, anyways, interesting looking bike. They changed the suspension kinematics a bit. So according to what they've said, uh, it's similar to the Jeff scene a bit in the sense that, that the actual, the yoke itself goes behind the seat tube mm-hmm. rather than just everything sitting in front. But they, they lowered the leverage ratio on this thing to give it more initial suppleness. Now, what do you mean more? did it need more well so it always felt to me the capra before kind of felt dead i guess would be the best way i would say it because there's too much suppleness well so i felt the opposite i felt like i felt like it was very um so i felt like the if you were to graph the the leverage ratio on that on that shock i felt like it was a linear line like it was just like straight across right okay and i felt like if you increase the pressure to give yourself more bottom out resistance or anything else, more support. It just got rid of all initial feel. And then if you were like, oh, I need more initial feel. So you dropped the pressure down. I felt like it dropped everything down. Of course. Like it was tough to kind of get a good compromise with it. So they, I think they anticipated that by making it more initially supple, but then as a result, it sounds like what they also did is they, they made it so that you could blow through a little bit more of the stroke as well. Okay. So it really sounds like it's going to be more sensitive, more responsive, more active ride than before. Okay. Um, and before, when I say dead, that's kind of what I mean is like less active, more just kind of, bleh. and it would push through things and it was quite effective, but, yeah. um, okay. it's interesting. So, and, and of course you can throw in volume spacers and change things around and all that stuff, but yeah. Uh, it's good to see them paying attention to the gripes that people had with the bike and, and yeah, engineering around it. So good looking bikes, man. Yeah. Pretty cool to see. Um, I think that they're, they have like a pro version that comes with longer travel than the rest of them. I think like the 170 29er, I think is only on like the higher end. One. Yeah. That's on the pro race. I think okay, yeah. on both models, there's a 180 pro race on the 27.5. Everything else is 170 Okay, on the 29. That's 170. And then everything else is 160. So if you really like to party, you got to pony up. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it goes. Okay. Uh, next bit of news, uh, a prototype DH bike from, from GT, which the, when I hear that and I don't see the bike, I think, uh, have they look at the bike? Yeah. Well, I mean, but like, you know, just before I see that in my mind, I think, have they introduced like a third wheel and are the cranks somehow backwards or upside down or sideways? Because GT does some weird things, man. Yeah. Well, okay. So they're not Cannondale. So <laughs> okay, <that's, gotcha. laughs> no, yeah. no. Uh, well, cause you know, Cannondale and GT are still, they're owned by Durrell Industries. But anyway, um, no, they did introduce a third wheel. It's just a jockey wheel <laughs> on the swing arm. Actually, they quite, yeah, they did. Yeah. However, it looks more normal than a GT. It does. A normal GT, I should say. Well, this is just a, you know, remember, this is just a prototype. This is true. Yeah. But also the front end on this thing is carbon already. Can we say that the front end looks like a Trek session? 
We can say almost the whole bike looks like a Trek <laughs> session, <laughs> other than the swing arm, I guess, the chain stay assembly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, interesting looking bike. It looks good. Uh, looks totally different than a Fury. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally different. But I do think, uh, yeah, it looks attractive, man. The pulley wheel. I'm looking at that wondering why they um, implement something like a pulley wheel. Why do you, why would they look at the high chain stay? Like that? And oh, where the quite high. chain link is. So just to ring. clear the thing, huh? Uh, it probably has something to do with chain growth as well. Yeah. As the swing arm spins around, I guarantee you that that's going to basically eliminate any sort of chain growth and chain suck. So yeah, and and what that would cause is you, is you go through the stroke and the and the chain is being stretched. Yes. That that distance from the rear axle to the bottom bracket is increasing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, hopefully that somehow allows them to counteract that with the more chain length or anything else. It looks like he's in his. Uh, lowest gear there in that picture and that uh that derailleur cage or the the pulley system looks like it is basically to the max yeah which and it's interesting (laughs) that is a i can't i can't tell if that's a saint 820 rear derailleur or if it's some sort of prototype rear derailleur but yeah because i'm zoomed in yeah and looks uh yeah i i can't really tell either it kind of looks it looks like an unmarked saint it does yeah Yeah. maybe it's the new saint m Eight, <laughs> please seven forty two. It should be clearly logical. Yeah. Whatever the next exactly. model naming convention yeah, should be. Which we need to do a semi deep dive on that one. <laughs> okay. By the way, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. It'll um, be fun. Yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be very logical and clear. Um, cool. So uh, that's the GT, the new GT downhill bike, and it looks more normal, which is interesting to see. Uh, mm-hmm. GT do. Um, all the DH teams are announced rather than going through all of them. Um, just know that you can go onto pink bike and you can find this and you can see there's honestly not a whole lot of change this year. Um, not a ton, no, no, I think that the one that stands out to me a lot is Danny Hart. He's on the Madison Saracen factory race team now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wasn't Mondraker and now he's moved off of that. So, uh, anyways, that's going to be interesting to see. I think that he'll be perhaps a little more, well, people are assuming he'll be more comfortable, but we'll see. Um, there's the intense factory racing team and they're driving up the road at Fontana. Oh, I hate, of course, <laughs> of course, <yeah. laughs> very, so, very SoCal. Yeah. Uh, I, I hate that road so much. That's in the XC race and I've cooked on that one before. So, nice. um, Uno is going to be having some dudes in there too, which is interesting. Greg Williamson and Taylor Vernon, uh, the Uno makes, uh, basically like one off custom bikes for you. They have certain things that they follow, but then like the, the bikes are all, they're beautiful bikes. The top tubes look kind of weird. They do look weird. They're really yeah. thin, but, yes. um, but they're, they're pretty nice bikes. Yeah. yeah. They're pretty. pretty looking. So, uh, anywho, that's the, you can check that out. DH season is not too far away. XC season starts pretty early this year. I think the first race is in South Africa in a new, at a new venue, uh, Keegan Swenson, friend of the podcast was telling me this new venue in, uh, oh gosh, what's the big, t- I think Johannesburg, yeah. I think, or maybe Cape town. I think it's in Cape one town. of the two. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to be interesting to see. So I think that's in like three weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. When we're in Sedona or right after. I think so. Yeah. Something sometime like around there. Yeah. Uh, next bit, uh, Sombrio's offering a custom Jersey program. So there, it looks like it's just their, your Jersey mm-hmm. and then they can throw on your artwork yeah. Right on the front, which is becoming more popular because Enduro Bros need to rep the sponsor. So or their teams yes. or whatever their club, their Indeed. group, yes. their bros. Yeah, yeah, their their boy band. So yeah. so their to speak. <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> um, and then Rocky Mountain released probably the raddest team intro video. 
It's so Rocky Mountain's a Canadian company. Mm-hmm. They're teaming up with Raceface, which is also a Canadian company, and they have all Canadian riders. Which is yeah, yeah, and as it, is tradition. Yes, and in their intro video, they they drink maple syrup from cans, and yeah. they have tons of awesome stuff. They listen to Canadian metal, or the song is. It's really good, actually. I looked up the band too. By the way, you totally just missed that. I just said, as is tradition, and you didn't laugh. Oh, yes. It's from South Park. <laughs> oh, Come on. Hey, I don't know South Park. Oh, okay, you know never me. mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> but anywho, it's an awesome video. Yes. I'm, I'm stoked to see them uh, race this year. Uh, three uh, Canadian riders on Canadian bikes, on Canadian components. It's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, Wade was Wade Simmons was in there. Uh, it's good stuff. So Jesse Melamed, Remy Galvin, and Adrienne Lantier-Nadeau, a.k.a. ALN. I can't say that name. So um, I think they call her Aln. I think I've heard them call her that. So just like they run it all together. Uh, Anywho, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Good to see them. And uh, all three on a team, full Canadian. Cool. Nice and pure. Indeed. Uh, Last bit of news, Stephen? E13. Yeah. Yeah, TRS Race SL Carbon Wheels. So we talked a lot about carbon wheels and how – I think a lot of people perhaps place them on a higher pedestal than perhaps they deserve. Mm-hmm. Like you can still get plenty of performance out of your aluminum wheels at a lower cost. Yes. But these ones are carbon wheels at a pretty low cost, relatively yeah, 1500 speaking. 1500 retail. That's pretty darn cheap. You man. know, they're going right after what uh, Raceface last year released the Next R wheel set. And this is, you know, very similar um, to that. Yeah. Not quite as good of engagement, six degrees, mm-hmm. um, but lifetime warranty on the rims. Yeah. Which is kind of awesome. I think uh, 1,700 grams. In a 29 and 1,650 and a 27.5. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, They have, uh, so some interesting things with this one, with a 28 millimeter internal width, it's wide, but not too wide. And I think that perhaps a lot of people, I see a lot of people go with like 30 mil or even wider on a lot of their bikes and- it might be like a trail bike and they're going, and which is fine, but you know, you may not have to go that wide. I think well, the 28 mil width is just yeah, fine. Like I've always said, 28 to 30 mils is the, is the sweet spot. And yeah. with their TRS plus and TRS race tires, mm-hmm. that's, you know, 28, 29 mils is perfect for those tires. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, they're pretty cool. They're a good option. I think people should consider more from E13. They're clever. Absolutely. Very clever company. And their valve stems are actually really, their valve cores are actually Ooh. really nice. I like them. They have the cap and they, it's the removal tool yeah. as well. And, and, yeah. and these are the same way, but they these are. are just a different way of doing it. But they also, they're just a really good yeah. valve core. Something, um, uh, Steven, you run, you run plastic caps on top of your Presta valves. No, I only did that, and I noticed that you took them off of the Super X and didn't give them back to me <laughs> when you raced it at Cross <laughs> oh, Nationals. Shoot. I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's okay. Do I owe you a half a penny or three quarters of a penny? No, you don't owe me anything. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Except that they were the Mavic caps, which are really nice. Oh, man. <laughs> and they're hard to find. No. Um, so I owe you uh, euros, I think, then. Euros, yes, gotcha. exactly. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. like 14 euros. Wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> they're Mavics. What do you expect? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> no. Um, no, I usually run – I have an Envy – valve core remover cap on that bike at all times on all of my bikes. I have one just in case I need to remove valve core for whatever reason. Because teeth um, aren't good pliers. Exactly. And so According I, to dentists, this is begged <laughs> to differ. <laughs> they work really well. Um, but, uh, I usually run valve caps just to keep dust and everything out, but I know you're anti. Well, yeah, I guess that I'm not, uh, not, uh, not anti. I like to, I wouldn't call myself a minimalist necessarily mm-hmm. as you can tell by the nest of cables 
that's a teaser right there for what we're going to talk about yeah. in the business section, the nest of cables on my bike. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, I've never considered them necessary. So just since you can tighten down the Presta, so it's not like yeah. you can, you have to worry about rocks or mud getting in there, yeah. but aesthetically I kind of like it when you run the caps, yes, that's you know, it gives things kind of like a refined, like a refined touch, I guess. Yeah. I think a lot of people look and they go, oh, you're a noob, you know, cause you run caps on there. Yeah. I think that's what people would see when they see that, but no, it's kind of, it's kind of nice looking. It just makes it look more polished. Yeah. I guess more and, finished. And on an all black wheel on, yeah, you good. know, when you've got all black parts, I like getting rid of as much of the chrome as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Keep that thing monochromatic if possible. Exactly. Uh, Steven, with that, the news is done. It's time to start the questions. The question. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. All right. First one is from Stay Classy Park City. It says, love the podcast. Five stars and many converts under my belt. Thanks, man. Uh, spreading the word. Yeah. We dig that. If you guys did that uh, and you spread the word to everybody that you knew, we would grow by 2x. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw that math out there. It's pretty tough, but you know, just saying. Good. <laughs> okay. Are you impressed with my math engineer guy? No. Okay. <laughs> Not even a little bit. <laughs> okay. He says, I have a 2014 Specialized World Cup Epic S-Works build. I love my Epic, which completed the Leadville 100 in 2016. Sweet. The bike did. Yes. Hopefully he did as yeah, well. Say, hopefully you did on the bike as <laughs> he well. He says, yeah. I'm getting ready for 2018 Leadville and would like to get easier gearing. My local bike shop said I don't have room for more options due to lack of boost spacing on the rear hub. <gasps> I think local bike shop has stepped wrong. Bad perhaps. local bike shop. He says, I have a one by 11 SRAM XX1 10, 1042 cassette with a 30 tooth wolf tooth chain or 30 tooth wolf tooth chain ring. That's three zero. <laughs> yes. 30. Three zero up front. The triangle won't fit a smaller chain ring up front. And supposedly I can't fit anything bigger in the back. What say you? So the smaller up front, I think that the reason for that, it's not the front triangle, it's the rear triangle. Yeah, it's clearing the chain stay. And that the world cup version of the Epic had like a massive chain stay down yeah. there. So I think that that's probably why he can't clear Of course. It. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's the chain ring though. Uh, what say you? And then he says, so let's, let's just cover that. Let's cover for which part do we want to cover first? Let's cover the back. Cause I think we cover the front, right? Okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you're not boost. You can run Eagle. Totally. Totally fine. I'm running it on my ASR. Yeah. And that's not boost. Not boost. Yeah. But yes, you don't even need to go that far. You okay. don't even need to replace your whole drive train. Uh, with I know Eagle. where you're going. You can literally just put the TRS race cassette on it. And you're dialed. And then you have over Eagle gearing. You have a 9 to 46. Mm -hmm. You have plenty of gearing, way better than the 1042. And your XX1 rear derailleur will accept that. There you go. Perfectly awesome. fine. Yep. I did it a lot. And you go to a nine, so you're going to be getting some top end there. Oh, actually, you're you going to get a lot. That yeah. two teeth on the bottom, you're going to get a lot, a lot more. So since you can't go smaller on the chain ring, um, the jump from 42 to 46 is still substantial. Yeah. So it will give you a lot lower gearing. <laughs> Strange noise. Those are blinds opening in the next room yeah. over. So um, anyways... I think that this is a misconception that a lot of people have that Eagle needs to go boost, but no, that, that the way that the Eagle works is that cassette is dished as kind of like a, a male female interface to your rim, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That that last cog is actually kind of, uh, I guess, I don't know if it would be convex or concave, but yeah. it's, 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 it, it kind of works its way toward the spoke or it follows the spoke angle yeah. basically. So what you want to, the way you want to look at this is on the Eagle cassette, your 10 tooth, the one that's farthest out from the wheel itself mm -hmm. is in the same position as your 11 speed 
SRAM XX1 and X01. Yep. And what they did is they just built a 12th gear onto the inside. And like you said, they dished it in a convex manner across your spoke, you know, basically yes. across the, the, the wall of spokes, if you will, yep. going from the mm -hmm. hub to the rim, it just gets a little bit closer to that. Yep. So you can run boost on a, or you can run Eagle on a non boost bike. Yep. Or if you don't want to spend that money, you can run a TRS race or TRS plus cassette, which is still XD free hub compatible. So you should just be able to take your cassette right off, put that cassette on, and you just need to adjust your B limit slightly on that derailleur. And yeah. anybody who says you can't, they're dirty liars. Oh man. Because I even do it on my gravel bike. True story. Yeah. Uh, next one is from Crawfish. He says, first of all, congrats, Jonathan, on the SB55 major bike MV over here. Thank you, Crawfish. It's still not as nice as my 5.5s were. <laughs> no. I'm just messing and with I don't you. Think I'm it'll just kind of jealous. I don't think it'll ever be as nice. <laughs> <laughs> Those things are absolutely beautiful. But um, it's just a frame right now. We're getting the parts slowly yes. but surely. So We have some bits here. We're going to do, I'm going to do like a feature on this. I'm even going to do YouTube videos on, on tips on building up the bike and then mm -hmm. on setting up the bike, the whole thing. It's going to be awesome. Nice. Uh, hopefully it can be really helpful for folks. Uh, it's going to be like a whole start from finish, how to not only build your custom bike from the ground up, but then also what to do in terms of building it, what to do in terms of setting it up mm -hmm. and everything else. So it'll be good. Uh, good stuff. So stay tuned for that. Anyways, he says, second and most importantly, thanks for helping me get back into mountain biking. It was a major part of my life before I started school where I fell out of it while competing in athletics there. Having something to train for, thanks Trainer Road, and look forward to has completely changed my post-college life and helped combat the depression that took hold after failing to find a new direction. Awesome. That's good to hear, man. Yeah. I'm stoked that we could help you with that. He says, after getting back into mountain biking last year, I started my slow enduro racing career. <laughs> he says, the highlight of my year by far was participating in the TransBC Enduro. That's gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a way to jump right into it. He says, at 25, I was able to keep up and have a blast, but I got my butt handed to me on some of the steepest, gnarliest trails I've ever seen, let alone ridden. Getting mm -hmm. to ride with pros like Jerome Clements, Renee Wildhaber, and Remy Galvin, and Casey Brown was a blast and elevated, and elevated my riding to another level. To say I was hooked after that is an understatement. As a native Vermonter, the, entirely, the entirety of this experience has helped me re regain sight of my priorities, living an active and healthy life uh, close to the outdoors. I'm happy to say that I plan to move out of New York City later this year. Good. Good for you, man. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome city, but good for you. Uh, now onto my question. While the TransBC Enduro was a blast, it was extremely expensive and only lasted a week. As a newbie that is unfamiliar with the races and events throughout the country, can you recommend a trail all mountain slash Enduro, not pure XC schedule to fill or to help fill the year with great trails and wonderful people? Uh, frequent week-long trips may be a stretch, but I'm able to tie work travel in with fun travel, meaning long weekends and distant trips are, are not too much of an issue. Also, while I will not do anything like the TransBC again this year, any recommendations for larger events in the coming years would be great. Thanks again for all that you do, and I hope to shred together sometime in the months ahead. Best, Crawford. Um, so, uh, long question, but thanks for sending all of that in, Crawford, because yes. it's cool to know that we're, we can, we're playing a part in helping there. Yeah. I figured the best way for us to go about this is this won't be comprehensive. No. But I, if we just share what we, like our, the rides that we would be excited about if we were planning a year and we didn't have perhaps the scheduling constraints or anything else that currently beset us on all sides. Yeah. So, uh, some rides that stick out to me and we're looking for, you know, like it could be an XC race, but it just, it shouldn't be like Cape Epic, that, that terrible race that's yeah, just no. basically riding along on, on fire road all day. Yeah. 
We call uh, those gravel grinders on the West Coast. Yeah, exactly. That's a, <laughs> I swear. That's like like Cape Epic is the original multi-day gravel event, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the dirty cans of it somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so some events that stick out to me mm-hmm. that I would do if I could just go and do them. Okay. Uh, BC bike race would definitely be on the list. Not BC Enduro, BC bike race. BC bike race. And I'm going to cover the more XC side of things first. Okay. But this much I will say, I've heard from a lot of people that have done both races. I haven't, so I can't speak to this, that single track six, they like even more. Okay. And I did single track six last year and I dream of going back there every day, probably because I can't remember it because I got concussed, but I dream of going back there every day. Um, I can't wait to, to ride that race again at some point that the cool thing about single track six is that it changes the the location every year, mm-hmm. but the guys that end the guys and gals that end up planning that, that event really put a lot of work into finding consistently high quality trail yeah. in somewhere around Calgary or Alberta and, and BC usually within that region. Right. Hopefully so, since it's the, you know, you know, anyway, yeah. Yeah. yeah so whatever. it bounces all around in that yeah. area and they, they have found, they find incredible trail all the time. Yeah. So I would say single track six is one that you would put on that list. It's, it's gnarly. Yeah. Uh, there are a ton of folks that are just like bring up the rear every day and they're super, you know, they're not going fast on the ups. Mm-hmm. They're, they're riding as hard as they can. Sure. Uh, but they're having a blast. They're stopping at aid stations. They're eating wild huckleberries that are right next to the aid station and they're hanging out with friends, have some trail beers, and then they drop down the awesome descents. And that's one thing that you can be guaranteed is that it's like pretty gnarly enduro style descents every day. Yeah. Um, that you get with that race. You can do a three day option or a six day option. You can also like pick which three days I think you want to do or something. They have like an option or every other day, I think. Uh, anyways, they have a lot of flexibility with it. BC bike race on the other hand is a little more, uh, so it's, it's a little bit more consistent. It does change. The stages do change, but, um, it's not quite as variable as what you see with single track six. And, um, I know that you camp in like tents and stuff sometimes with, with BC bike race and single track six, you always have hotels. Yeah. Which is so it is a little bit more expensive. Uh, I don't know, actually. I don't know if it is or not. I mean, if you probably add in the hotel cost, I'm, I'm sure. Saying. Yeah, I'm talking the cost yeah, of the trip itself. But I think you have to pay, like, the, the cost of the, the tent camping and everything else. It's it's still, like, you pay for that. It's okay. still, like, wrapped up into the BC bike race entry fee, right? So okay. um, I don't know. I'd be curious to see how they, they even out on cost. But okay. single track six would be awesome. And you get shuttled everywhere every day yeah. know, to your actual yep. ride location. Yeah, you have to yeah, – that's another thing that you, you pay for to do that. But yeah. – um, I was amazed at how efficient the shuttles were. Mm-hmm. Like it was never like, yeah, just hang out in the hot sun for four hours while we wait to fill the shuttle to go back. No, they were just like, cool, we'll take you back right now. It was really, it was awesome. They yeah. were really good. So, um, so that's, that's on the XC side of things. Those are some races that I would definitely consider doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? I would honestly, I, I'm, on a, I'm on a kick for gravel grinders, so okay. I'm going to recommend some of that stuff as well. But okay. that's also, you know, the gravel grinders I'll recommend you can totally do on a mountain bike. Totally. But um, honestly, I would travel west. I would hit, you know, some of the BME races, the big mountain enduros yeah. in Colorado, New Mexico. Yeah, That would be fun because that's a totally different experience. If you mm-hmm. get, you know, depending on which location you pick, you're going to get some gnarly, you know, descents. But you're also going to get some beautiful country. Yeah. Um, lots of really good views, especially like the Aspen Snowmass race, the, you know, the, there's a lot of really good, um, really good locations that they do the BME at. One thing really quick, can I add on? Cause yeah. we're in that region, uh, Moab rocks. That one is like, it's supposed to be like an 
XC-ish stage race, but it's much more enduro style. Yeah. And uh, that one is actually put on by the same folks that do single track six, but it's down in Moab. Yeah. That one's coming up, I think, really soon, though. So that one would be tough to hit. But I've heard that one's much more enduro than it is XC. Yeah. Lots of fun. Um, Beyond that, I would look for, I would look for something personally that has like a mountain bike, almost like a festival and race event at. So your sea otter, your kamikaze games at Mammoth Mountain in California, um, that kind of stuff is what I would probably spend some time figuring out because then you're not just racing. You're not spending a week of your time or five days of your time at one race. You've got other things to do and other things to look at and... Yeah. I'd recommend in Idaho, um, they have, oh gosh, I believe it's up, um, Kellogg, Idaho. They have a huge, we talked about this last, I think last week, but they have a race that's going to be an EWS qualifier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've heard that it's absolutely amazing up there. That's okay. a great spot to go. Yeah. Sun Valley. I think that they still do the ride Sun Valley festival. And if they do, that is totally something you shouldn't miss. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'd recommend that one. Uh, another one that I think is so this is more of like a, a bucket list one because I, I I think Kamikaze Games is a really good one that you added in there, mm-hmm. but this is this one is kind of big, but I would say Andes Pacifico, well, okay. or Trans Andes, yeah, absolutely. So that one is down in South America, and the reason mm-hmm. I recommend that I would recommend that one to gringos especially because if you go to Santiago, uh, they they very much speak Spanish there. They don't speak English, but you'll be very comfortable, I guess, in that country. Um, if you want to go out of your comfort zone, then perhaps look elsewhere. Um, but it's, it's Santiago is like, it's, you don't need a jacket at all times oh, that's not, in Chile. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Santiago is like, it's such a nice city. Um, it's an awesome place. So, and it's beautiful there. Uh, those would be the ones I would pick, man. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there are any others, uh, you can go up and they have, I can't remember the name of the race, but up in BC, they have a heli enduro basically. We're like, you, that would be awesome. Spendy, but yeah. But I'm sure it would be spendy. Um, and then I think the final one that you should not miss is go to Crankworks. This is okay. Yeah. Crankworks. That would right? be, cause even when it's, even when there's like 30,000 mountain bikers on that mountain, you're never really waiting in line no. longer than, you know, like five, six, seven minutes for a lift and oh, it's. And it's got to just the, the energy during Crankworks at Whistler mm-hmm. has to be amazing because the energy at Whistler anyway on normal times is just nuts. Yeah. Like there's so many riders. So Crankworks must be insane. Yeah, because then, then since you're into trail, enduro, downhill, you're into all of that, you can do the Garbanza DH, which is known for being Ooh, one yeah. of the longest DH races in the world. And I loved that race. That was awesome. I did it on my Jekyll with a lefty back in 2015. I freaking loved that race. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I've done... Uh, Garb, unofficial Garbanzo DH on my on my ASR. Good. And I think I didn't have wrists, arms, hands, or anything else at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just without stopping. It's long. Yeah, it's really long. Man. Yeah. But I wasn't alone. It wasn't just the 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 one twenty mil, one hundred mil of travel that I had. Everyone else that was with me was just dying. So yeah. it's long and bumpy. Yes. Um, all right. Next question is from Craig. He says, how do I buy a Fox DPX two in black without buying it on an already built up bike? I like the shock, but Kashima really won't look good on my red high tower with a black pike up front. Agreed. You two should definitely understand my dilemma. Yeah. Oh, I do understand it. And I'm kind of in the same dilemma because I've got a really nice DPX two on my, on my five, five. Mm-hmm. It's Kashima. So what you do is you just call Fox and you buy the parts from the performance elite version or performance elite version, um, which would be all black. So you buy the black air can and the black shaft. The thing is you do have to send your shock to Fox to have them replace those parts. 
Okay. Gotcha. So because they have to tear apart the damper assembly and everything like that. So it's going to do that for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. They will. they will do that as like service purposes. Yeah, absolutely. Will it be like super costly? Eh, it's not terrible. I think, I think when they did, um, when they did my float, um, my float X on yeah. uh, project Aurora, I think it was like maybe 70 bucks in parts retail. And oh. then they charged me like $45, um, oh, wow, for the labor really cheap. and it was just a brand new one. I just, you know, I just. So took it might it from be, the sales department. They it, walked it over to service, did all the work, and then sent it to me. So it might be more, might be less. We are not taking responsibility for those prices and Fox's <clears throat> pricing and yeah, any confusion just, that results thereafter. That was a year ago. That was the disclaimer. Yeah. Um, but okay, good. Yeah. So I can make my shock black. You can. Oh, thank goodness. Absolutely. Because it's just not working. And I think- at, I <laughs> Like think the it, shock isn't functional because it's not the right color. Yeah. And I don't quote me on this, understand. but at some point, I think that you're going to be able to purchase- performance elite series stuff as aftermarket parts. Oh, cool. That's supposed to happen at some point. Yeah. I know that, um, yeah, because I know that you can, yeah, because I think it's just sold as like a complete. And the DPX2 right now just is sold as the Kashima version, at least exactly. on their website, Yeah, you know. So, uh, yes, Craig, we understand your dilemma. And it's something it's, it's something very serious, along with the world's greatest concerns, is making yeah. sure that your so, shock is not Kashima when it doesn't need to be Kashima. Yeah, so, Craig, the first thing that I would do f for you is I would get your information off of your shock on your Hightower, mm -hmm. as far as, like, the custom tune ID, which is mm -hmm. which also functions as your kind of serial number, um, and put in an RA request on at ridefox.com. Just go to the bike section, go to service, do the RA request form, and tell them you just want to switch your air can and your shaft assembly, you want to basically go all black on it and see what they reply. Cool. And they should give you a price quote and everything. Nice. So, yeah. Last one is from Seamus Rickerby, which by the way, we have a ton of questions uh, that were submitted, a ton of them. We're going to do a questions episode later this week. Yes. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Seamus Rickerby says, hey guys, love the show. We'll definitely be leaving five stars. Notice how he said, why haven't you already, <laughs> sir? Seamus. <laughs> you can do so at, uh, or on iTunes. Yes. Uh, go there, leave a five star review. We'd be much, uh, we would appreciate that. If you don't feel that we deserve five stars, just let us know what we can do to make it better. Yeah. He says, I have two questions for you. If you could have any two bikes of your choosing, what would they be? A trail-oriented hardtail and a full DH rig, or maybe a long travel trail bike and a CX bike. And then which specific bikes would you pick? Uh, so let's cover that before we cover which specific bikes. If you had to have two bikes, had to, such a tough thing, but you have two bikes. Mm -hmm. What, I guess, genre or what, what sub-model of bike would you, uh, would you have? Would you have, like he said, a DH bike and a CX rig? Or what would you pick? And, and let's say that you couldn't have a road bike either. Let's make it tricky. Oh gosh. Uh, then I would do a full, I would do a full on uh, cyclocross gravel bike and a 170 mil enduro bike, which is pretty much where I am now. Same. That's all. Yeah. That's all I could do because the current bike, the Jekyll, you know, that I can take to North star and mammoth and do everything on the mountain, yeah. not feel super comfortable on the gnarliest of gnarly trails, but still get through. Yeah. I can still climb it on a daily basis. I can still ride it on any XC trail. Sure, it's going to be a little bit, you know, cumbersome and sluggish, but mm -hmm. it works. Yeah. Um, and I think then it'd be the same. Yeah. And then the gravel bike is a, a road it. bike with smooth tires. Yeah. It's a cyclocross bike. It's a gravel bike. It's a rigid mountain bike for very light party trails. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you didn't need to replace a road bike, if I didn't need to replace a road bike, I would still have a gravel bike as my road bike. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. then I would do a hundred mil full suspension with a slacker head tube angle, a little bit longer reach, shorter yeah. chain stays. So scalpel, ASR, 
well, can't buy an ASR anymore, but you know, <laughs> whatever happens in that realm, I would pick something there. Yeah. Um, but something that's not so much, maybe the new Epic. Yeah. Um, as a, as a hundred mil bike yeah. and I would leave it pure hundred mil. I would not do the scalpel SE. I would not put 120 mil fork on it. I would not do anything. I would make it as pure XC as possible because... with that slacker head tube angle, because we know you and I know that when you start riding a hundred mil bike, even without a dropper post, when you get used to it and you know, the geometry and you've got that, that capability and just general bike handling skill, you can do plenty with, you can do plenty with a hundred mils yeah. and so I would go that route and still have a 160, 170 mil enduro bike. I would have a 120 mil. So uh, if I had to, if I, if I had, I would be the same. If I had to replace my road bike, I'd have an open up. Um, but yeah. The open up is actually a really cool. That bike. would be would my that, bike yeah. that I would have for the gravel bike. Yeah. And then I would have, uh, I would just have like 170, 160 mil, the long travel 29er. Yeah. In this case, I'd have an SB55. But in this case, I'll switch it over a bit. Okay. And uh, if I had to have, if I didn't have to replace a road bike and yeah, I know no brainer. I would have a 120 mil, 100 mil XC bike. I like that feeling for XC. I feel like suspension is getting more efficient. So it allows it uh, just better geometry to have a 120, 100. I would have that. And then I would still have that. I would never get a downhill bike. I, I just think that they're too specific and you can't climb on a downhill bike and yeah. Yeah. They're I just never get one. Yeah. I would get something that's a super long travel bike that I can still take to the park and you know. Yeah. There's something about overriding an enduro bike at a downhill park mm -hmm. and just making do with it and just being like, yeah, I'm on a single crown. What's up? Yeah. Like it's just sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next one, which is if anybody's familiar with Reddit, this kind of seems like, uh, 100, a duck sized horses or 100 or one horse sized something like that. Uh, I, I'm sure you guys, what are you the talking thing. about <laughs> <laughs> on Reddit? Lost. There's a thing called a, an AMA on Reddit. It's an ask me anything. Okay. And what they have is they have a, a traditional question that everyone's asked and it's, would you rather fight one horse sized duck or 100 duck sized horses? I believe that's the question. So this question is kind of similar to that. Okay. Do you want to answer that question first though? I saw your brain turning over. You know, lover of animals, obviously. Yes. I'd rather, I'd rather kick a hundred duck sized horses <laughs> than try to fight something with a bill and, you yeah. know, that's horse sized duck. Yeah. That doesn't sound fun at That'd all. That'd be pretty terrifying. Yeah. yeah Do yeah. I get to bring any of my guns? As an American, I mean, what am I fighting with? Is this can't fist? Take, can't take your amendments away. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to his question. Yes, and, and mine would be the small uh, little little horses. By the way, okay, good. Yeah, same yeah. here. Uh, he says, second question. Not sure if you've had this before, but here it is. Would you rather have one bike that is absolutely top of the line, or as many bikes as you like, but they have to be bottom barrel basic components? One bike. Yeah. One bike, top shelf. Sorry. I like things that run smooth and silent and perfect in every single way. I, I yeah, would same, have to pick. Same, actually. Yeah. Yep, same. So then now, okay, so I'm going to expand on his question. If you had to pick one bike yeah. and we know it's a top shelf bike, what would you pick for your one bike? Yeah, it would be. Um, and I'm talking specific, like the yeah. what model of bike? SB45. You jerk. Why would you just stick with Yeti? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, SB45. Okay. okay. Um, if I had to not have a Yeti. Oh, um, I'd, it would probably be something in the one, it would be 130 to 140 mils of travel. You know, which one I'd actually get, mm -hmm. 
um, I'd either get a high tower or a tall boy. And see, I was thinking high tower. I would, I would think a high tower. Yeah. But I would also be really torn because of the capabilities of the new trigger. Yeah. I, I hate to say it, but that's a 150 mil bike, 145 in the back, but you flip that hustle and flow or not hustle and flow. It doesn't, it's not called that anymore. Actually it is. No, that's right. It's called hustle and flow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's not, it used to be elevate and flow. Now it's hustle and flow. Yeah, that's right. Hustle and flow is the new one. Yeah. yeah. It's Monday morning. It's early. (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, I would actually pick that bike because then you go to 115 mils of travel and that thing's super supportive and fast and climbs really, really well. But I think I actually, I I know what I would go for. If I couldn't go for a four or five, because that bike is the ultimate all around bike. Agreed. Uh, like it's got Downeyville written. Yeah. For me, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, it's got Downeyville written all over it. Yeah. Um, like the Downeyville race. Yes. I should say, um, I would, yeah, I would go with a tall boy okay. and I might bump her up to 140 up front and then lighten the thing up as much as you could. Yeah. Cause they can be really light. Yeah. That bike set of like really M60, light. whatever the new yeah, 635s yeah. on mm-hmm. it. Oh yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a sweet bike. Okay. So, um, that's what I would do first Yeti four or five, not then tall boy with a little bit more party up front. Yep. Uh, unless the tall boy comes with the 140, I might be wrong there. It might already come with, I think it comes, but well, the tall boy LT is 150, right? I don't even know if they make the tall boy LT anymore. I think they just make the tall boy and the high tower replace the tall boy. LT. Oh yeah. 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 Sorry. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, sorry, Santa Cruz. Um, more Mondays indeed. Uh, with that, Steven business time. Business is business time. Okay, this one, we're going to talk about cables. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you, of all people, are the best person to talk to that I've ever come across on cable routing. I have AT&T U-verse, though. Oh, cable routing, sorry. <laughs> yes. Routers, yeah, internet. Yes. Yes. yes, internet things. Internet, yeah. yeah. Or bike cables. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about cable routing. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a black box for me. So it's it's going to be solved now because bike companies are, are feeling the pressure to make like the new SB five has, um, the new Enduro has, and a few others they actually have like channels, fully sleeved, fully sleeved yeah. so that you just run that cable through and it pops right out and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, which but, thanks to Santa Cruz for doing that like four years ago. Yes. Thank you. You guys Santa are Cruz, awesome. Um, for pushing that through. But, uh, anyways, for a lot of us though, we don't have that luxury mm-hmm. and we may have an internally routed bike. And I think for external routing, just stay tuned. Some tips that we'll have later will help you. But yeah. if you have internal routing, then what we are going to be talking about at first here is a bit of a black box to me. Uh, I want to understand, and we're going to go over how to route your cables. Then we're going to go over all the little tips and tricks to make sure that they're tidy, not loud, how to make sure that you get the right cable length, the whole deal. Um, but first things first, routing cables internally, what if I, if money was no object, what would I buy in order to make that more possible? What do you mean? Like <laughs> it is. So I've, I've ran cables before internally and you get to this point where it's, you're running it down and then you've got like a port at the bottom of the bo- a bottom bracket or something like that, where the cable is supposed to come out. Yeah. Right. So your cable goes like 18 feet through three feet. And yes. It's like nowhere to be and seen. And you're like, and you're moving the cable, you pull it back and you move it forward and you hear it go tick, tick, tick. And it's hitting on something. And you're like wondering what type of Harry Potter thing with a wand has to happen in order to make you small enough to get inside your frame to move that cable or what needs to happen. Yeah. It drives me nuts. It's like one of the most frustrating things in the world. Mm -hmm. So what would you get in order to make that something where you don't contemplate the greater meaning of life and stand near a cliff? (laughs) (laughs) 
because <laughs> that's how I feel after trying to do internal routing sometimes. Um, some bikes are way easier than others, but at the end of the day, Park has their the internal routing kit, which is the IR 1.2. <laughs> they must, they're blue like Shimano. Yeah. <laughs> and they got the names like Shimano. <laughs> yeah, well, no, IR, it, it, it's internal routing, and then it's tool version 1.2 or something so. like that. I don't, so. I don't know. It makes a little more sense. It's Shimano. a little more sense, yeah, but yeah. Um, that kit is amazing. I love it. It's a lifesaver, especially on a lot of the older Yetis where you had, you know, the issue getting around the switch infinity link with your dropper post housing. Oh yeah. That'd be tough. Huh? Um, that actually made things way easier. Um, I used to spend over an hour just routing the rear brake, rear derailleur and, so, um, dropper post through the frame. What sort of magicry is being employed here? So they're using really, really strong neodymium magnets. And so there's this, there's basically this little billet tool that has a magnet on the end of it. And then you have these long braided and vinyl dipped cables that have magnets on the end. Okay. One of them doesn't have a magnet on the end. It's actually designed to be, um, to be threaded into a, um, any sort of housing. You can do it onto a derailleur housing. You can thread it oh, into okay. a hydraulic housing yep. and then you just feed it through that way. So, so do, the, you, do you have <clears throat> to put a magnetically reactive thing on the end of the cable or is it already reactive well, enough? Well, or? so that's the thing is that most of the cables in this kit, mm -hmm. they're, they already come with a magnet on one end of the cable and then a way to pull the housing or cable from the other end. Yes. And so you use that handheld magnet on the outside of the frame and you just drag it along and pull the internal magnet piece all the way through the frame. That's nice. It makes it way easier. Um, I wonder, <clears throat> I'm sure it's expensive because it's park tool. Um, no, I, I think wonder. it's, I think it's only like 40 bucks. Okay. Let's look. Which if any of you have tried to route and I'm sure you're thinking that's tiny magnets and cables, that's ridiculous. Okay. It's $67. Okay. But still yeah. in that moment, I would give all that I have <laughs> to avoid some of the pain and, and, and annoyance that you deal with when you're trying to route internal cables. Yeah. Um, so it's expensive, but maybe you can work up a system that's, I guess, a little bit more I guess a cheaper system. Yeah. One that I've seen people do, and this is kind of a funny one, but, uh, I saw this at a bike shop, a guy took a string, he taped it to the cable and then he started running the cable inside the frame. Mm -hmm. And then what he did is he took tape and he capped off the different holes in the frame. And then he compressed blue and air through he either. And then he used a vacuum. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and that's he sucked actually... that string out yeah. and then that allowed him to then pull a cable through. Yeah, that's old school method. That's actually a really smart way to do it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that, that worked in one, in one situation. What other situations are, are there any other hacks that you can think of? Um, honestly, Besides sawzalling the frame open, because yeah. then it kind of ruins things. <laughs> yeah. Art. Um, <laughs> the, uh, at the end of the day, there's intuitive ways to think about it. You know, if you have to run a cable, you don't have to run your cable through housing a certain way that's difficult. If you're coming up against a block from one end, try feeding it from the other way. Uh, yeah. Seeing okay. if it, so feed it backwards. Yeah. Feed it backwards. And you know, there's little tricks like that as you go opening up like on Yeti where they've got the little rubber grommets on the older mm -hmm. Uh, frames, you know, where the, yep. the inlet and outlets are remove those. Yeah. Um, that'll make it a lot easier. They're a pain to put back in, but I've gotten to the point where it takes me about 10 seconds to put one in and you know, there, there's just little tricks to it as you go. Yeah. Not really anything that I can just tell you on a podcast, like yeah, you, yeah. but it's just little things. Just think in, intuitively as you're going through, if something is being a pain and stopping you from moving a cable, then try feeding it the other way. Yeah. Um, I always leave as much of the bike torn apart 
routing the cables, I try to route cables while it's a bare frame. So it's no fresh. bottom bracket cranks in, no um, mm -hmm. headset or fork or anything like that. Smart. Just leave it all open so you have access as much as possible. One thing that I would say, so in most cases, a, a bike with internal routing will now come with guides already in place. Yes. Uh, so you basically have to just slide your cables through, save those guides. Okay. Is what I would recommend. Mm -hmm. So the, there'll be little tubes that are just slightly larger diameter than the actual cable itself. Yeah. And they'll be color coded when you get them, if it's a good brand, which mm -hmm. is really nice. So in, in this case, what you do is you run that through and then you leave that in place. And there's a few inches sticking out on either end. Mm -hmm. And I would keep those things. And then when you end up taking off your, whatever, taking the bike down completely and taking the, the, you know, the, the shifter off and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd recommend running that back up the cable and then putting it into place. So then when you route it back in, it's really easy. What I usually do, I don't do that. Okay. What I usually do is I will take um, just a couple cheap derailleur cables yeah. and I will basically tape those to my cable and housing as I'm pulling it out Okay. and I'll feed that in place because then what you can do is you can wind up each end of it. Okay. And, and ball it up so that you have like a little spool on each end and then it, and it won't fall out. out. Yeah. Cause otherwise what you have to do is when you have that little guide in place, you have to tape it. Yeah. And, and make sure the tape sticks. Yeah. And if you're cleaning the bike or if you're doing anything then that doesn't work. Whereas if you have that spare derailleur cable, just a cheap one. Yep. If you have that in there and it's balled it's up, idea. it's not going to fall out at all. Good idea. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, so getting away from, I guess, so that's the internal routing side of things. Mm -hmm. And some tips to help with that. Uh, make sure that you also plan this out beforehand. Mm -hmm. Like sit down and think about it because you may actually have a bike that has everything routed in a certain way, but it might not be the most clever way because let's just say that your bike is set up to have a front derailleur and it's not set up to have a dropper post. Well, sit back and think about the best way to actually route those things mm -hmm. uh, because you may find a better way to be able to route them in. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, I guess, was cable length. And this is something that I see a lot of people mess up on. Yeah. They have enough cable that they could like, uh, I don't know, they could, they could, they could a, strangle a horse sized duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could make a trampoline out of all that vinyl they have out in front with yeah. the housing or, uh, some people do it so that they don't have enough. And then mm -hmm. if they end up getting in a crash of their bars twist, it's going to be El Snapo. Yeah. So, and that'll be very expensive because it'll yeah. break something off. How do you make sure that you have the right derailleur cable length? So, um, my derailleur cable length, it, I, I go from the derailleur and move forward. Uh, which gear, what, what, what position do you have the derailleur in? It doesn't matter. Okay. The derailleur is going to sit on the B limit screw all the time. Perfect. So you want to set it there and I always give it just a tiny bit of extra, maybe a quarter of an inch. Okay. So extra I, meaning slack, extra meaning pull. Like extra this. slack, gotcha. a little bit of extra slack. Cool. Just because if things move around, I want the cable to be able to have some movement of course. in and out of the frame or if the derailleur itself moves, you know, whatever, I want it to have just a tiny bit of slack. So how do you <clears throat> account for the amount of length that is appropriate? Because I see a lot of people with not enough cable or too much cable out front. Yeah. So what I do is after I've picked the, the back end of the bike, right. It's all run through. I have excess cable sticking out of the front. Oh, so, and something we should cover. If you have a bike that the cables run underneath the bottom bracket, like we talked about a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. uh, you'll want to make sure that you provide enough slack there. Absolutely. So yes. like take the shock, the pressure out of the shock, 
if you want, compress it all the way, make sure that cable isn't going to be rubbing or taut against your frame. You want to have slack. So, um, so after you've gone through and done all of that and gotten it through to where it's at the head tube of the bike and it comes out and your last run is straight to the shifter. Yep. The way that I route it is I set my handlebars up at this point, get everything done, shifters in place where I want it to be. And then I always, if you're looking forward on the bike, Mm -hmm. standing over the bike, it comes, typically your rear derailleur is going to go into the frame on your left side, rider's left. Okay. So what I do- Rider's right. No, rider's left. If you're riding the bike, it's going to be, the cable's going to come out rider's left, and then it's going to cross, it's going to cross over- to the rider's right side where your rear shifter is. Yes. So what I always do is when it comes out of the frame, I give it a little bit of bulge to the left, uh-huh. just barely. Okay. And then I route it over to the shifter and I'll just hold the cable where I think the end of the cable needs to be yep. onto the barrel adjuster. And I hold it there and then I spin my bars around and I make sure that I can spin almost 180 degrees backwards. Okay. I get it to, it's about 150, 100, it's, I don't Let's go. Let's be precise, 154. Okay, 154.3 degrees, yeah. <laughs> I don't go all the way around because yep. I don't want that much slack. But I make sure that if I get in a crash where the, the bike, the bars actually spin more than 90 degrees, I have enough slack there. Yep. And so then I just kind of pick it from there and then just cut it and go from there. And always remember, never cut based on the end of the barrel, always add 10 millimeters to where the end of the barrel adjuster is. Okay. So, yeah. And then from there, the first thing I do is I always take my barrel adjuster and I bottom it out. So as slack as possible. Yep. And then I go up at least a half of a turn, usually three quarters okay. so that you can loosen the cable. If your cable tension is too much when you initially set it up. That makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so how about orientation? Is there, so like in the road side of things, they call it the California cross which is basically in most cases, your shifter cables end up overlapping each other. If you do the California cross in the down tube, it's annoying. And then you get this like weird thing where your actual, your cables bump against each other and chatter inside the frame. So then a lot of people actually run them so that they don't cross and they come down. If the cables on the left go into the frame on the left and the cables on the right going on the right. Mm -hmm. But are you for mountain bikes? Are you in favor of running your cables? If it comes from a control on the left side from the lever side, Mm -hmm. you're a fan always of running them across to the right. Yes. I always do the California cross. I never leave the cables together. Awesome. There, there are a few differences, a few caveats. Niner for one. Yeah. Niner used to do, and I don't know if they still do this, but they used to run their cables into their head badge. Yeah. In the front I of the head that. tube. Yeah. And so those, you do not do the cross. Right. Um, okay. They, they just, it's, it's very weird in how they go into the frame, but if you did the cross itself, you end up with so much cable yeah. that it just looks terrible. Yeah. So you have to kind of do it the clean way, which is, you know, left to left, right to right. So how do you tidy up the cables? Cause another thing that I see is a lot of people, you can hear the cables every time they hit a bump, they slap against each other. Now, is this talking external, like on in front of the bike in the forward controls or in the down tube? Let's talk about in the down tube first, and then let's go outside. Okay. So in the down tube, if you have a bike, like this is. I was the one, I figured out this fix. I I think Yeti 
told us that they had some sort of tubing, you know, setup yeah. that they would use to quiet down the cables inside the down tube, but they didn't share any information. Yeah. And so I came up with using um, inch and a f- inch and five eighths outer diameter split foam pipe tubing. Yep. You this can get it like at the, Home Depot. The black stuff that you find at Home Depot, it's used to like for insulating. You put it over little copper pipes in your yep. garage, like around your water heater, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this little, it's the stuff that's split and then you actually put, remove, there's uh, two little, um, adhesive. basically it's adhesive where it's split and you just remove those and you make a tube out of it. Mm-hmm. And after your cables, and I don't do any crossing of cables inside the down tube, mm-hmm. I keep them separate. Yep. And then what I do before I put the headset and fork in, I actually sleeve this tube of foam insulation and I wedge it down into the down tube. And I've done a bunch of videos on it and shown people what to do, but that completely silences your down tube. Yeah. So if you have cables rattling inside, you basically stuff this foam tube inside there. The cables run inside of that. Yep. And then that allows you to have quietness. Yeah. And I actually don't even, I don't even run the, the, uh, the cables inside the tube. Okay. I actually just run the, the cables wedge out to the walls of the carbon down tube gotcha. or aluminum down tube. So it pushes it out. Yeah. So it pushes okay. it out and leaves it in place. The The problem with doing it the other way is sometimes the cables will move inside. They'll there. still rattle yeah. inside of the foam. Yeah. Now, now the cool pro tip is on project Aurora, mm-hmm. that down tube sleeve, yeah. down tube sleeve, um, doubled as my DI two battery holder Ooh. because it was the perfect inner diameter to wedge and lock the DI2 battery into. Nice. Yeah. And my B junction box was in there and everything. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. DI2 life. I, I, once we have Eagle ETAP, which will be awesome. Which would be great. And then if that thing that Canyon did that I kind of like with how they ran the cables outside of the frame, but they had that protector that acted like yes. a shell. Yeah. We would never have to worry about internal routing. Exactly. Oh. Eagle ETAP. Give us the bird. Give us the wireless bird. <laughs> Give us the wireless bird. Yes. That, it, Free the bird. Free the bird from cables. <laughs> Come on, SRAM. Uh, and and then, by the way, you heard that here first. So if they use that in marketing, I want my money. Free the bird. Where my money? Uh, the other thing to cover is outside the frame. Mm-hmm. I've seen people use tape. Uh, like black electrical tape to tape cables together. Okay. It almost looks like bar tape in the sense that it like spirals kind of down. Yeah. I've seen people use, and I, what I use are those little cable guide snaps that Jaguar makes. Jaguar and SRAM make them. They're just called, um, they're called cable hooks. Yeah. I think they call them like S hooks, I think is the yeah. actual name or something yeah. like that. And then, uh, or you can use shrink wrap tubing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, and this is to stop cables that are outside from tapping on each other, possibly rubbing through and causing a leak or Mm -hmm. just being annoying. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you do? So what I did with the, with project Aurora, the DI two bike, I did heat shrink tubing because there's no S hooks or anything that are going to make, um, the DI two cable sit nice and, you know, even. Cause the DI two cables, tiny, it's very smaller. Yeah. It's two and a half millimeters. It's It's, electric. Yeah. So, um, with the DI2, I used heat shrink. Okay. Everything else, um, I use really good stainless latched um, flexible zip ties. So not any, I hate to say this, every bike brand that sends zip ties with their bikes, get your zip tie game up. You use yeah. horrible zip ties, even yeah. Yeti. Like Yeti zip ties are probably some of the worst that I've ever seen. <laughs> but the derailleur housing that they send, yeah. freaking amazing. Okay. I love that. <laughs> and they won't even tell me what brand it is. I think it's just Shimano without like yeah, any yeah. label on it, but yeah. they won't even tell us like what, you know, yeah, derailleur yeah. housing they include on their bikes. But um, 
I use really nice zip ties, and then I use the for old cantilever brakes. They have the third hand tool, okay, and I actually use that to cinch up the zip tie so it's super tight Whoa. and does not move. And you so and you just use one or two of those on each yeah, pairing so, of cables. Yeah. So, so what I'll do is I'll run for the rear on all of my bikes um, where you have rear derailleur and rear brake housing. I will, where they come together about three inches from the lever okay. assembly, I will do one there. And then I will do one just in front of the head tube of the bike. Uh, and it, it just makes it nice and smooth and clean. And then on the other side, you have your front brake and your dropper post. Yep. And those two, I usually do one or two together before they separate and go their separate ways. Makes sense. And I never have any sort of noise or cha- you know any sort of cable slap or anything like that. I route the rear so that the rear, uh, I guess it would be the dropper post, runs down slightly yep. following the front brake housing. Yes. I run it down so it escapes and gets away from your rear controls. Yeah. And so that way you have like a couple inches of clearance before it dives and turns into the right side, rider's right of the head tube to go internal routing. People are probably so spun around with the left right. I know. We've got Jerry with his uh, with his leaf blower out here blowing snow. So sorry if you hear something weird. Yeah. Uh, I also realized that we've had the blinds open this whole time, which, which is good. Co- I, I, it's romantic. It's snowing outside. Or it's Jerry's very. He's in his orange hoodie with his snow blower leaf blower thing. Could be very bad though because it alters the acoustics in this room quite does it quite substantially. So well, you know, what? I apologize if the audio sounds different. The last thing that I wanted to cover with this uh, is I see a lot of people really going toward the shrink wrap side of things Mm -hmm. or taping things together, but they use so much tape or the shrink wrap they use is such heavy gauge that it actually, when those two cables are stuck together, it makes them pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. So then when when you're jumping and you're going through bumps and everything else, those cables bob a whole lot more. Yeah. So that's something to keep in mind is don't go ham if you're going to tape this thing. Like it doesn't need a whole lot. And that's Mm -hmm. why I really like the zip tie approach or the S hooks because it's minimal, it's light. It doesn't add a lot of weight to the cables already. Yeah. So it's a pretty good setup. Yeah. And and my thing that I'm against any sort of um, shrink wrap is because I'm a maintenance freak. Yeah. So when it comes to needing to replace a derailleur housing, you have to rip your brakes apart in order to replace your derailleur housing and re-shrink wrap it. I don't like that. I would rather use the zip ties where I can just cut them and throw them away and use a couple more in the exact same position. And my routing is always super clean anyway. Like you look at my Jekyll and it's probably, you know, some of the nicer routing that you've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. And I actually have an extra cable in the front. I forgot I've got the hustle and flow mode. So there's three coming off the left side of the bike. Yeah. Riders left. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's, I, I like the zip ties. It's yep. so much better. You're pro with it. Yours are the best. That's why I'm glad we, we ran you through this one. Uh, last one that we're going to cover. Uh, well, actually that's it. Let's get into the tips and it'll be it for this episode. Oh, good tips. Yes. You don't care that counting on your tips to live. <laughs> And for the tips, uh, so I'm going to, these are nutrition tips, two products that I've been using lately. Not me, your nutrition tips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got two tips, just like me. Yes. Yeah. Nice. How that goes, huh? So um, the first one that I want to cover is a company called Maurten Nutrition. So M-A-U-R-T-E-N. They were involved with Nike's Project 2. And, uh, disclaimer, they, they contacted me and asked if they, if they could send some stuff out to me for me to test and then share my thoughts on it. So this is me sharing my thoughts on it. And I told them, I said, if I don't like it, um, I might not share my thoughts on it. Cause I don't want to like, you know, 
blast you guys or something like that. Um, Not like SRAM with their brakes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing we I, love you, SRAM. The one thing I want to say though is I, I have, and we've mentioned this before, super sensitive stomach. So I was pretty doubtful on this because one of the things that they they claim so they have hydrogel technology that they use. They call it okay, which I think basically just means that they have extremely carbohydrate-dense molecules that are packed into these little gel blobs. Okay. Now, they feel like sand or pebbles, basically clear ones, mm -hmm. clearish white when they're in the packet. But then you put them in, they expand, they become hydrated. And if anything, this is a drink that has hardly any taste to it. Okay. There's zero gross chemically taste. There's no like, this reminds me of terrible cough syrup. There's no, this reminds me of a sports drink. So None it's of not that. purple drink. Yeah, Got it's it. not purple drink. Okay. If anything, I would say that it all, it's like if you had like a root of vanilla and you just like very quickly drug it through the water, like the, just the top. It's like, just like a smoother finish, I guess, to the water. Okay. The one thing that I think it does change is it does feel like it increases the viscosity of the water a bit. So it's not quite, it's not as watery, so to speak, okay. but it's still very much watery. I don't want people thinking that this is like a jelly thing now. It's very much watery. But think of water with a little bit of like a gel feel to it. Like it kind of yeah, just stays in your it, mouth a little bit longer. Yeah. There's no film left on your mouth. Yeah. It's like really hard to describe. There's no film left on your mouth, but it finishes smoother, so to speak, oh, I guess, yeah. if that makes sense. Okay. So, um, it's really interesting stuff. It comes down, it gives you 90 grams of carbohydrates. I think 99 maybe in one little packet. So that's per bottle. That's a lot of carbohydrate. Yeah. That's like, like keto people try to stay under 20 grams for a whole entire day. Um, well, even less than that a lot of the time. So anyways, it's, it's a lot of carbohydrate, which is the, the big challenge is you know, if you're going to take in carbohydrate from a lot of other traditional drinks, you have like heed and other things like that, which is it basically to me, it's like it's you an oatmeal drink. It's like <laughs> pond water. It's yeah, so gross. Yeah, I yeah, hate it. Yeah. I can't drink it, but this stuff is smooth, has like no taste. It's like pleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it doesn't mess up my stomach. Okay. And I've noticed a huge effect on giving me energy to get through workouts better, everything else. Um, it is something that if you've, if you've eaten a lot, this is not something that I would use on like a short workout unless that you're coming in like fasted, uh, because otherwise it's, it's a little bit overkill, honestly. But if you're doing long rides, this is something that you could use to be able to eat less perhaps and yeah. be able to just drink in a lot of energy. Anyway, it's, it's really good. Um, so I, I highly recommend their stuff. It's really, really good. Packaging's beautiful too, by the way, not that it really matters because yeah. you're eating it, but a very, very clean, very Let's minimalist. You know, UXC nerds are going to just tape it to your top tube anyway. No, I would never tape I'm anything kidding. to my top tube. I'm joking. Uh, or lick and stick. I hate doing that. Anyways, <laughs> um, but, uh, with, uh, they have a 160 milliliter package and a 360 maybe, I think, or 320. Anyways, what they are, uh, you're supposed to mix it just with one bottle, not like a tall bottle. Uh, it's like specific. I, I it's want like to say a 600 like mil bottle. Or 12 whatever. or 16 ounces. There's one of the, it's, I think it's 12 ounces. Okay. Isn't that like a normal bottle? Well, 12 ounces. No, that's 354 milliliters. Usually you're going to be 18 or 20 ounce. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. So 18 ounces. We'll go I drink LaCroix. I look at them every day. 12 <laughs> ounces. It's classy. 355 milliliters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, LaCroix, by the way, credit to Sean Estes for this. He calls it San Porlegrino. <laughs> San Porlegrino. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, anyways, with this stuff though, you need to make sure that you don't like water it down. Mm -hmm. It's very key since, since these little hydro gel things that they have in there, the little BBs, those are, are meant to be mixed with a specific type or amount of water. Okay. You want to make sure you do that. Gotcha. 
So uh, that's that's number one. Sorry, this is a little long, but okay. um, the next one I'll make it quick. S- uh, science and sport. They were at Reno Cross Nationals mm-hmm. here. Uh, they I, I I was chatting with them. Really cool folks. And they were kind enough to uh, give me some samples to try mm-hmm. on a ride. Same here. They didn't mess up my stomach. No. Um, and credit to Zach Waymire, by the way. He rides for them. He's an ambassador for them. And he's been on the podcast before, local shredder, mm-hmm. young guy. And uh, he was the one that, that encouraged me to try it because I've heard about them for years, yeah. um, sponsoring Team Sky and all. Anyways, their gels, I never do gels, by the way. Uh, me Ever. Either. yeah. Because it's like chocolate frosting makes you super thirsty and then just gives me a stomach ache. And I wonder why have I done this to yeah. myself. But these ones are much more watered down. So they're trying to get to the point where it's easier to digest for your body. It's more readily absorbed. That is what they call their isotonic characteristics yes. of it. So it's, yeah, they're, and it's, it's good. Um, the taste, it's not as strong, no. of course, is what you get from a standard gel, which I actually like. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want a really crazy strong taste. Um, yeah, it's, and it's been good and it's been giving me energy and not screwing up my stomach. So science and sport and Maurten nutrition, M A U R T E N. Nice. Yes. So mine, yep. my tips. Yep. Uh, first one, Loctite released um, this new self-sealing tape. It's okay. a thicker, it's like eight mils, nine mils thick. Like an ace bandage. Uh, sure. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry. laughs> and what this is, it comes in a, it's a one inch wide roll. And you know, a lot of people like your, um, your downhill rat bros will take their chain stay on the chain stay or on the chain side and they'll actually wrap yeah, uh, like it. an old tube around it or whatever, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but that's big and bulky, but it does the job. It keeps the chain from hitting your carbon, yep. you know, or whatever, ruining the paint. This tape is actually really cool. Um, we found that on the new Jekylls, we were getting, you know, Zach Waymire again actually found this, that mm-hmm. he was getting um, some chain slap on big, hard, square edge hits. I had felt the noise, heard it. I just wasn't sure what it was, and I didn't really care enough to, you know, dive into it. Yeah. So we ended up taking this um, Loctite self-sealing tape and wrapped his chain stay in it, and it eliminated the problem. Okay. The cool thing about this tape is it it's not adhesive on either side, so hmm. it does not stick permanently or leave any residue to your bike itself. That's cool. But what it does do is it sticks to itself okay. really well. So do you wrap it kind of like <clears throat> bar tape so that it that it doesn't fully overlap, just overlaps I overlap, to adhere to itself? Exactly. I overlapped it about 40% the whole way around and gotcha. did his whole chain stay, uh-huh. completely silenced the entire thing. Interesting. And cool. um, But it's it's really good, I think, for you know high wear areas like your chain stay specifically where um, if your shoe hits it, if your chain hits it or anything like that, debris, whatever, it works really well. Is so, it pretty light? It's very light. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's silicone based. Okay. Um, so it's very porous and very light, but it's, it's a great little product. I thought it was just a good tip to, you know, share with yeah. people. I've used mastic tape <clears throat> underneath on mine, yeah. which is, it's heavy though. Yeah. Mastic tape's heavy. And then it also sticks to your frame. Yeah. Um, you might have to use a little bit of like, uh, uh, isopropyl alcohol afterward to get some, some, some residue off. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is a really clean solution though. It I is. Like it. Yeah. Because huh. when you remove it, it just leaves everything nice and clean Cool. and it will seal nice and tight against your bike. So dirt won't eventually get in there and cause any damage later on. You, you won't find any of that. Sweet. Um, second side of my tip, um, you know, I'm OCD about keeping my bikes perfect and clean and I don't like rock chips and I don't like, you know, your brake levers. If you crash and you spin your bike around and it hits the top tube and dings your carbon or the paint or whatever. Um, Expel. Okay. It's just X-P-E-L. Okay. They're like the leader in clear bra material for cars in the world. And they do, um, you can buy it in bulk on a lot of different websites. I wrap all of my frames in that. 
completely. Okay. So do you just buy vinyl sheets and then you like make a template, so to speak with a razor blade or no, I just, I'll, what I do is I end up, so this is the cool thing about it. And, you know, being that, you know, those of uh, the listeners who follow me on Instagram, they know I do paint correction on cars and it's for a shop yeah. that does, you know, ceramic ceiling, um, tinting. And then they also do a lot of clear bra and vinyl wrapping work on, on cars. Right. Um, what, what you do is you actually apply it on the car and as you're applying it, you kind of, you know, trim out the excess stuff. But once it's all done and sealed, you take these really, really sharp, um, basically break off, um, I think they use carbide. I don't remember what these blades are, but they're uh -huh. ridiculously sharp. And you literally just touch them with a tiny bit of pressure to the expel on the outside, not even cutting all the way through it. Yep. Then you just peel a corner and it'll cut line right along that. Kind of like how when you cut glass, nice. you just yeah. kind of etch the surface yep. and then it just cuts clean. That's cool. The cool thing about this stuff is as you're riding, as you, you know, inherently dirt gets on it and you rub on it, you put hot water on it and rub it around. It has self-healing properties. Wow. So like my bikes look freaking awesome all like the time. all the time. And then when I go to sell them in a year or, you know, whatever inherently happens with my frames, they look perfect. We should do that on my five, five frame since it's just in a frame shape. Right it, now. And that's the time to do that's it. Really. To do it. Yeah. I mean, you can do it otherwise too, yeah. but, but yeah, yeah. Awesome. So it's good. Really good tip. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. I feel like we've, yeah, these, these have been really helpful ones. Totally. Steven. Uh, that's it for this episode. Okay. The people can go to mtbpodcast.com to find out more about the podcast. Find us on the Instagram stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, keep an eye out for another episode that'll be coming your way this week, answering your questions. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else? Your wife just texted you and said that she's bringing your lunch in in a second. Did oh. she remember the snack pack? Because <laughs> that's the important part. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. Bless her heart. I'm, yeah. I'm a lucky man. I know. All right. She didn't bring me lunch. <laughs> no, I'm not a lucky man. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> all right. Talk to you all next week. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.